welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. Today, we're going to be discussing Squarespace. Uh, one second as I change to gallery. Yep, we're in gallery view. Okay. We are talking Squarespace uh, as the, what is this, the third uh, stock in our website in e-commerce month. Uh, this is another website builder similar to GoDaddy, but without the domain uh, stuff. And it's going to be very similar to Wix. They're extremely similar businesses. And we'll be covering Wix as the last episode in this month. Uh, we're going to talk about them today, go through all the basics uh, on our not so deep dive episodes. We try to go for about 45 minutes, cover the basics of what a business does, their financials, their ownership structure, any sort of quirks, what we liked, disliked, and then come to any sort of conclusions if we're more interested in the company. Uh, before we talk about them, housekeeping items. One, subscribe to the newsletter that goes along with each of these episodes. The link will be in the show notes. It can be very helpful. You get the show notes with all these. You'll get some charts, any sort of tables we reference throughout the episode, which I can guarantee you we're going to reference a couple of times, at least in this episode. And then second, if you like the episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That's the easiest way to help the show. All right, we're going to get started. But first, let's talk about our sponsor today, and that is Seven Investing. Anyone that's listened to the show knows Seven Investing by this by now. And as we're getting close to the end of 2022, there's a limited time left to take advantage of one, our code, and two, their free trial. Uh, so if you use our code money, you get two things as of this moment. One, a seven-day free trial to try out the service risk-free. You have to check out the research reports, uh, all the ones that they've done so far. Um, you're not going to be, because they have so much information and stuff uh, behind their paywall, there is, you're not going to get to everything. So don't think you're just going to be able to cheat, research everything, and then leave after seven days. But you, you get to try you, you it out. You could if you were really motivated. Well, yes. If you were extremely motivated, possibly. But I don't think it is humanly possible. Uh, so you get to check it out for free for with a seven-day free trial. And if you want to stick around and use and get an annual subscription, you can use our code MONEY. Get $100 off your annual subscription for life. With a subscription to Seven Investing, you get research reports each month. Seven, seven research reports, uh, as the name Seven Investing implies. You get deep dive uh, videos and reports from each advisor, as there are seven lead advisors on the team. You get updates from all across the team uh, in various ways. And you can contact them through their Discord, subscriber calls, and all the good stuff. So they can help you uh, move along on your investing journey. Um, so yeah, use code money, check them out, get that free trial. And now let's move into Squarespace. So Ryan, what does Squarespace do and give a little history of the company? Yeah, the history is actually pretty interesting. So, uh, I know I've given some boring history on, on some of the companies, uh, that we've done recently, but, uh, Squarespace is had, there was a lot of color, a lot of context. So I'll, I'm excited to talk about that. But as for the business, the first line on the 10 K uh, I always love looking at it because sometimes it's super vague. 
like just way too vague, you know, and just a really broad mission statement. But Squarespace is okay. It, it says Squarespace is an all-in-one platform with everything to sell anything. It, it's still fairly vague, but basically it's a platform that allows uh, and I'm, I'm going to try to approach this as if someone someone's never heard of Squarespace or Wix or is not that well versed in the CMS space. So if if you are familiar, I'm I'm sorry for more of the basic layout, but Squarespace is a platform that allows all kinds of users to establish a professional looking internet presence and operate their business online. So um, when you're thinking about like the popular Squarespace customer groups, you're probably think well, you're thinking ah well. Selling online must must compete with Shopify, but there's a lot more. Uh, not every business is trying to sell something, um, or like not every business is trying to ship items. Where Squarespace really finds a lot of customers in like the the restaurant industry, the photography, uh, wedding planning, bloggers, artists. It, it serves as a portfolio for a lot of fields. So if you think about like. Uh, if you're an interior designer and you've got a portfolio that you want to showcase, Squarespace is kind of a really ideal place to do that. It really got its start in blogging too. So that's probably one of the more common use cases that people use Squarespace for. However, Substack has kind of um, gone after that market as well. Um, but it, anyway, it, it applies to a lot of fields, pretty much anything. Some of it, it probably lends itself a little better to, like the the use cases I talked about. But in terms of the customer journey, when a user comes to Squarespace, it's basically you can immediately start assembling the website you want with this sort of drag and drop canvas. Um, and then there's they have 100 plus templates that allow you to kind of get off to get a, get an easier start. And so um, let's say you are a photographer. Um, they've had so many use cases with that, that they've built these templates that you can easily replicate and then adjust it or customize it for your own needs. So if you want different colors or you want slightly different layout, different logo in the corner, you can adjust it to your own desires, but really you're probably going to have something similar to a lot of other photographers. So um, the, the templates certainly help. And I think they they really help in terms of converting someone who's just exploring how to build a website to hmm, okay I might actually buy this because it kind of gets them over that hump, and then at the end once you've kind of established the website you want, and it's an iterative process so you can keep going in and keep refreshing and updating it. It's not like you you, you set it and forget it, but at the end you'll get hit with basically a subscription price that says we will do your hosting services. And if you go listen to the GoDaddy episode, we talked about what the hosting services require. That's storing all your data on co-location servers somewhere, allowing your website to actually run and then offering you a domain that you want. Um, and as well as security, um, they'll, they'll offer you that for the, the pricing changes constantly. It's very dynamic, but it's, it's a uh, you know, one year, two year, three year contracts for, let's say $100, $200, they're constantly running discounts. So it changes right now, their average revenue per unique subscription is right over $200. Um, so they'll provide the hosting services to you for that kind of subscription cost. Beyond that though, Squarespace also offers some tools or uh, solutions that are meant to actually help businesses run. So you can get custom domain emails. A lot of businesses like to use that. They have a plugin or they distribute basically G Suite and and Google custom domains. And then um, they have a variety of add-ons as well. So things like 
this isn't even necessarily a, a, an add-on, but it allows you to manage your social media accounts. It allows you to sell online. It doesn't have its own payment solution, but it has payment partners. So that's kind of a difference between them and, and Wix. Um, you can schedule and take appointments. You can send out email campaigns. There's, there's tons more that you're able to do if you're a business on here. One of the big ones is talk which is T-O-C-K. If you're a restaurant, it allows you to book reservations and and uh, process online orders as well. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But basically, this is just allowing you to easily set up and run your business online. That, that That's the goal of Squarespace. And it gets grouped into the software as a service content management system. So SaaS CMS. Um, and really, it's it's very similar to Wix, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the history, like I said, it's, it's kind of a remarkable family story. So Squarespace was founded in 2003 by Anthony Casalina, I believe I'm saying that correctly, out of his dorm room at the University of Maryland. So at the time, um, and I, I, I went and listened to how I built this episode with uh, with him on it. And he, and he gives a really good story about how he built this. And uh, he wanted to make his own blog and realized there wasn't really an intuitive solution to kind of get set up without writing your own code. And so I believe he originally, when people would ask him what he did or what Squarespace was, he, he called it a publishing so- publishing software, uh, which I guess it still is today. But um, he wanted to build his own sort of publishing software. and that, That's what he did. I, I believe this was his early years in college. Um, and some of his, at one point, one of his friends just said, like, I'll, I'll give you $200 for this. And he said, wow, you know, all right, this could actually now that I think about it, this could be a business. Um, and so he ended up having to get some space in some server rooms in New York. He got a $30,000 loan from his dad to kind of try to turn this into a, a you know a real, real company and, and plow some money into marketing. And for the first several years, even after college, at, at one point, I believe this was doing at the time, it was like $650,000 in revenue. And he was still the only person at the company. He would write all the code, answer all customer questions. He'd run marketing for Google AdWords. Um, I mean, he was he was doing everything. And he, he talked about having to constantly... At, he, he wasn't making any progress on the platform was his big thing. He was doing all these sort of menial tasks. And so he ended up hiring this different CEO and quickly he realized that it wasn't going to work and that he wanted to run things his own way. And there was a lot of disagreements around different decisions. And he was even asked in the interview, you know, did you, was it, did it kind of work? He said, no, not at all. I, I, I wanted to run this thing myself. Um, And around that time, this is 2010, they, Anthony went out and they, they actually got an acquisition offer from Getty Images to uh, buy out Squarespace, but he wanted to keep running the company. And so, uh, Someone else said, "Hey, we'll give you know we'll give you some money." Excel and Index Ventures said, "How about we invest some money in you, and then you know it's still yours." Um, and so that's what he did. They he raised thirty eight and a half million dollar funding round from from those two companies, and really began building the business the way he wanted. And since then, it, it's been uh, kind of the typical VC route, I guess you could say. Um, he obviously still retains a lot of ownership, which Brett will talk about in a second, but. They they kind of went the typical CMS path, which is you start with a good website building solution, and then you start to build business uh, business tools. And a lot of this was through acquisitions. So they've made, I want to say, five acquisitions in like the last five years. Um, it might be four, but there's they they acquired Acuity Scheduling, Unfold, 
talk, which was the big one, which I'll talk about at the end. Um, and they're, they're, it's basically gone from this evolution of trying to be a blogging site to applying to any sort of business vertical, to being mobile friendly, to now being a full-blown commerce solution that allows companies to, to really sell online. So um, that's kind of been the evolution. They didn't actually go public until March of last year. They did take on some debt before they joined the public markets, which which I'll talk about in a sec. But uh, yeah, they've they've now been public for a little over a year. All right. Yeah. Let me hit industry and competition. It'll be similar to GoDaddy, but slightly different. So if we look at the website builder market, it is quite small, excluding WordPress, which we hit on a little bit more during the GoDaddy episode, a little bit more of the details there, but I'm sure we're going to discuss that today. So excluding WordPress, which has the majority market share, they're only a few billion dollars spent on building websites each year. Squarespace is one of these uh, as a non-WordPress website builder like Shopify, GoDaddy, Wix, um, BigCommerce, a few others. Uh, there are also a lot of products that they offer to customers that are outside of the website building. Though, like Ryan mentioned, there's e-commerce selling, there's payments, although they don't have a native solution. So slightly different than Shopify and Wix. Um, there's email marketing, social media tools, and more. So adding all those together, the say, quote unquote, total addressable market here is definitely larger than just the website building stuff. However, the website building, uh, as we'll talk about, there is plenty of market share to gain from WordPress itself. Uh, WordPress has maintained 50% plus of the CMS market for the last decade. So again, I'll say that again. WordPress has 50% plus market share of the content management system space, and they've had that for the last decade. It's been pretty stable. However, there are signs that uh, Shopify, Squarespace, and Wix, especially those three, are finally making meaningful market share gains. And we've actually seen WordPress slightly decline its market share uh, in 2022. Um, and if you look at the table, so again, uh, we ha- we'll have a source for this in the newsletter for kind of tracks over the years, the market share. Um, and it's some third-party estimates. So again, it, it might not be exact, but it's directionally correct. So from 2011 to now, so about 10 years, Shopify went from 0% to 6% market share. Wix went from 0% to 3.5% market share. And Squarespace went from 0% to 2.9%, so basically 3% market share. Ryan, you have something to add? Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, WordPress has maintained 50% plus of the CMS market, and it makes it sound kind of steady, but it's worth noting that CMS market is... or, or, or websites built using CMS is also growing as a percentage of active websites. So WordPress itself is actually growing active websites. It's just potentially here, we we think it's to, going to decline in market share among that growing industry. Yeah. And if, again, I, I said, uh, you know, zero to 6%, zero to three and a half and zero to three percent, you add that together, that's the 12 and a half percent, right? of market share gains from these companies that had zero. So they went from zero to 12 and a half percent. If they can say double that over the next five years and go to uh, 25%, the, the the only place they're going to be able to take that is WordPress. So again, if the, the, the trends over the last decade continue, you know, they're going to, uh, someone like Squarespace is going to gain more share. And we'll talk about maybe any reasons why that won't continue um, towards the end of the episode. If we're looking at competitors, we already discussed them. There's Wix, GoDaddy, WordPress, Shopify, BigCommerce. Uh, you also have GoDaddy in domains. There's MailChimp and marketing, Sprout Social for social media management, 
uh, open table for say that restaurant management stuff and a very various other products. Uh, but the, the key competitors that they're going to be looking at are WordPress, Wix, GoDaddy, uh, Shopify. All right. Let's move into management and ownership. As Ryan mentioned, the founder, CEO, and chairperson of the board is Anthony Casalina. How do I? Is that how you say it? Casalina. He's only 39 years old, so pretty young for someone that's run this business for a long time. Um, he has 75% voting power. So again, combine that with 75% voting power. He is the CEO and chairperson of the board. He has, I think, the trifecta of total control of this entity. There's not really any holes in that. Um, it, it seems like he would have to just want to give it up to leave. Um, the board of directors has a very standard makeup, so nothing crazy there. They're executives from the technology industry of Wayfair, Getty Images. Getty Images actually has some sort of partnership with them. And I, as Ryan mentioned, they have a longstanding relationship. Um, and then there's a lot of VC partners on the board. So those ones that Ryan mentioned, like X, XL Ventures, a few others, um, but in total, there are only six members of the board. Uh, total board compensation was 0.2% of 2021 gross profits. So no complications there. Uh, if we look at the ownership table, though, there are a lot of VC funds still associated with the stock, um, but that is really not too relevant. I guess maybe from a, uh, the stock could go down if there's a lot of selling pressure, if they want to get rid of their stake. But it's not too relevant, again, because Castellana still has full control of this thing from a voting power perspective. Um, lastly, on management and ownership, let's go through executive compensation. I would say they have a fairly simple scheme. They do base salaries, and then they give out executive stock options. If we look at total executive compensation in 2021, it was $88 million, or 13.4% of 2021 gross profit. However, you know, at first glance, you think, okay, that's way, way too high. And something's wrong. They're kind of paying themselves too much. However, this was due to the company starting a long-term stock award for Castellana based on stock price tranches that all had to be realized at the time of the compensation plan. So it wasn't actually true expenses in this regard. Most of the time, the SBC, they might try to, uh, you know, there's no adjusted EBITDA nonsense here, but basically they gave them like a you know, kind of like a Tesla based one where they have these stock price targets. And then if you hit the stock price target for say, I think it was a 30 day or 90 day moving average, um, you get this certain tranche of stock uh, options that'll vest for you, these performance stock units. And if we look at the stock price today, it's about $20 a share. And the first hurdle is $105 a share with the last hurdle being $420 a share. I pasted the table in to the newsletter for anyone to look at. Um, so I, on the one hand, I get a little bit mad that he's paying himself so much, even though he owns, uh, what is it, 35% of the economic interest of this thing. So he's already incentivized to get the stock price up. But on the other hand, it's not really that bad because he's only going to get paid if the stock uh, does really well for shareholders. So that does somewhat align him. But again, he already, already was aligned. Uh, but if you're looking at, say, the 2021 numbers, that's why the expenses look so bad. Uh, let's see. Besides that, we got nothing. So let's move on to earnings, Ryan. What do the financials of this company look like? Well, the financials look pretty good, uh, especially. Well, I, I guess it's similar to GoDaddy, but uh, the 
at least on a profitability basis, it looks it looks better than Wix, which we'll talk about at the end of this month. Um, so over the last twelve months, they've done just under a billion dollars in revenue, so eight hundred forty six million. That was up thirteen percent versus the twelve months prior. Eighty three percent gross margins. So they generate as a percentage of their own revenue. They generate a larger. They generate more from their core subscription business than Wix. Um, which is generally higher margin than the commerce solutions, not to mention the commerce solutions are a little different than Wix. Um, but ultimately, it's it's a slightly higher margin business um, on, a, on a gross basis. And then a lot of that trickles through to free cash flow. So $127 million in free cash flow, that's 15% free cash flow margins. That's over the last 12 months. And it's been improving or it's expected to improve this year. So most recent quarter, when we talk about what's kind of happening now, they have $218 million in total revenue. That's That was growing at 8% a year due to two things. So unique subscriptions reached $4.2 million, which grew 4%, although it was flat sequentially. So it's not growing quite as quickly on a quarter over quarter basis as it used to. And that's been kind of across the entire CMS space. Website growth has, has stalled out a little bit. Um, and then the Average revenue per unique subscription is also up four percent. So, and there's also some constant currency, or for there is some foreign currency headwinds as well, although not quite as much. So, only about thirty percent of their business is done outside of of the U.S. Total bookings increased ten percent. Would have been fourteen percent constant currency. Um, commerce revenue was was growing year over year. Be, but primarily because of the talk acquisition. So they paid $400 million for um, this online ordering and reservation system called Talk. But if you exclude that GMV for their commerce segment, actually, I'm pretty sure it actually declined year over year. So um, a lot of that is kind of just macro, but also likely some sort of reversion from COVID trends where maybe some businesses that were conducting more sales online, I'm thinking particularly with the restaurants, are doing or are, are, are some of those transactions have migrated back to in-person. That's there wasn't a whole lot of color on it, but that would be my guess. Um and then this quarter specifically for just over 41 million in operating cash flow. So that's 19% operating cash flow margin. That was actually down last year due to and they said timing of payments, and this was well, asked about. That's by was, definition, though. So, yes, it was asked about on the conference call, uh, and they. It was kind of a number of things, but uh, basically, I believe a lot of it had to do with like this tax receivables not coming in, and then they also front loaded some marketing costs that weren't going to actually occur until later on. So lumpy, but ultimately you're looking at about historically 15 to 20% cash flow margin business. There isn't a whole lot of CapEx here. Uh, it's pretty light. So free cash flow is generally pretty close to their operating cash flow figure. Uh, they do, however, issue a lot of stock-based compensation, um, but they they have been buying back as well. So I'll talk about that in a sec, but $75 million in stock-based compensation year to date. If you just annualize that, we're looking at about $100 million given out in stock each this year. But in the second quarter, they authorized a $200 million buyback. And so far, Q2 or so far, repurchases have outpaced SBC. Um, in total, they're guiding for 100, I guess the two numbers you probably didn't know, just under a billion dollars in revenue and 
840 million and they're guiding for 140 million dollars in free cash flow this year roughly so right around 15 to 20% free cash flow margins and those have been slightly expanding over time yeah but but a lot of it is sbc at the moment as they continue to invest for growth so something to watch yeah and that might become a little bit more of a material cost here as we talk about the balance sheet so yep. uh 230 million dollars in cash and liquid securities on the balance sheet um that's a, it's a pretty healthy amount but 520 million dollars in total debt however it's a variable rate um and 30 million of it is current so most of this is all due in 2025 but it's libor so the london interchange bank overnight rate banking overnight rate something like that uh basically the 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 the, the london the, the the equivalent of the london tenure is maybe the way to say it right uh no no the fed no. funds rate no that is that is slightly incorrect. lower no, uh it's just we're is gonna it, go into it, it. I, it's close it's like, on the rate is it not oh yeah sure sure it might it might track it close but it's not it has nothing to do with it but yeah it's just banking what what what, what um the banks are able to lend at kind of they just average it out it's a weird system we don't need to go into it um on this podcast but yeah it'll it'll uh libor will go up as interest rates rise so yeah all right Na- naive take on my part but essentially it's going to rise if if the federal funds rate it, rises yeah. so yep that's the most important thing yeah um Anyway, they, they entered into this term loan in 2019 for $350 million. Then they upsized it in 2020 to $550 million. Mm-hmm. Um, the effective rate at the end of the last quarter was 4.63%. If rates continue to rise, as we kind of mentioned there, you should expect that effective rate to also rise. I didn't see any hedges in place or interest rate swaps or anything like that. So um, it, 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 it's sort of your typical floating rate debt where... If rates, you know, you took you took on the risk that if if general rates rise, your your uh, your payments or interest payments will as, as well. So, um, on top of that, the debt has some conditions that Square Squarespace can't have a total debt, and they say total debt to EBITDA ratio greater than four and a half times, and then it kind of steps down over time to three three and three quarters. But total debt, kind of. You could probably just look at it on a net debt to EBITDA basis because they could theoretically pay the debt down early if they wanted to with that cash. So the way I would look at it is that net debt to adjust EBITDA or they report an unlevered free cash flow, which I I imagine is close to however the banks are assessing that EBITDA figure. Um, Net debt to adjust EBITDA right now is about 2.4 times. So not too crazy, but my concern here is that they it's going to be harder to buy back stock is mm. the closer you get to 2025 if rates rise because then you're spending more money towards interest payments um and there's just less flexibility to to use that cash less cash available to be repurchasing so that's why i say you might may want to pay attention to at least where that sbc is trending yes uh yeah that was a big we're gonna compare ish wix versus squarespace later and i think the balance sheet uh wix has a big advantage there although neither of them are perfect all right i'll hit valuation quick pretty simple with this one let me pull up uh my metrics let me make sure that's the right one because we're doing this kind of at the same time as GoDaddy. um okay yes squarespace charts and metrics all right i have two here 
Well, first off, market cap's about, for anyone that's referencing, about $2.8 billion, $2.78 billion. Um, add back the net debt, we get an enterprise value of right around $3.1 billion. Uh, so kind of just $3 billion EV. If we'll get EV to gross profit on a trailing 12-month basis, we're at 4.4. Um, pretty, ch- not cheap in that regard, but pretty darn close to the market average, I would say. And then if we look at EV to free cash flow, it's 24.2. But remember, majority of that is SBC. So again, um, it's not it's not cheap, I would say. Um, there are... <sighs> You know, they're going to grow free cash flow per share, right? Because that share count is coming down. But we did talk about those concerns around how much money they're going to have to be able to deploy into the buyback. And then second, they are still investing a lot for growth. So I think my most important metric, at least in the near term, would be EV to gross profit, most likely, because with the the long-term tailwind that they're, you know, they've theorized, uh, you know, we possibly, you know, Somewhat agree with, or at least part of the thesis with the website builders is that that there will be this long term opportunity to steal market share from WordPress. Um, they're going to have to spend on marketing and sales. They're going to have to continue on R and D to stay up to speed with Wix and um, uh, Shopify for the stuff that they they compete with. I guess they're not going for the crazy e commerce stuff that they want to compete with in there. But again, EV to gross profit is probably my preferred metric there. But let's move on to oh, Ryan, you have something to add for valuation. Yeah. And I'll just, I was scrolling through some of the history on the business before the show. And uh, the they used to have a private market valuation, I believe at $10 billion. So really? Wow. Well, the VC market surprising. The VCs. Yeah, it's not. Well, is it surprising? <laughs> it's well, maybe not, but the it's, it's kind of cool to look at how much, uh, how, how rationalized some of these valuations have come in. So or how true. far they've yeah. come in. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, 80% drawdown versus the private, well, 70% drawdown versus private valuation, which I don't think, let me see. Uh, you want to see what year that was? Yeah. And we, they used to be trading at 12, 13 times sales then if, in that regard. And now they're down to an EV of about 3 billion, which gives them, we're probably going to get down to about three, four times gross profit here very short, shortly with this uh, current multiple. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let's move on to anecdotal evidence. Uh, I can just do mine if you're looking that up, Ryan. So with these, you know, we built some website ourselves. So we, we knew that Squarespace was a good option. It was definitely one. I mean, we, choo- we chose Wix. Um, 
it, it, it's kind of a toss-up. They both have fair, fairly similar numbers, as we'll go over with Wix. Squarespace is just slightly smaller. But when you visit its product website, so say you go to squarespace.com and are checking out all the stuff they have, you understand right away what Squarespace offers. Um, when you look up Squarespace on Google, the first pop-up on Google is, you know, the, the things you read first are website builder, create a website in minutes with a link to its homepage at Squarespace. Um, I think that's good because, uh, you know, with a competitor like GoDaddy or maybe those jumbled WordPress things, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you're going to get confused. And with Squarespace or Wix, um, which are essentially very similar in this regard, you're not, I think it's much easier to understand what you're getting into. And it says, okay, create a website in minutes. Boom. They'll have these templates for me. I can create this thing in a day, which is kind of what we did with one of ours. Um, and then it, I also like to look at the Google search stuff for advertising uh, because that's super important for these because that's basically what people are doing. Uh, you know, I searched build a website, which I think millions and millions of people do. That's and- specifically what Casalina said they would by Google AdWords on when they first started. Exactly. Uh, so that's pretty competitive and they're still doing that because Squarespace was the first ad for me that pops up. Um, so it's, it, it, it's interesting in that regard where on the one hand, it's kind of a commodity where you have all these listings on Google search or wherever you're searching and it's going to be Wix, Squarespace, uh, GoDaddy, but WordPress is not going to advertise there because they're open source. So I think that's where part of the advantage is, where these companies are competing for customers, but since there's such a large tailwind, it can be kind of rational. And since WordPress is open source, they can have a much more tailored approach to what kind of the SEO strategy in that that regard. All right, I'm going too long on that. Ryan, uh, any anecdotal evidence to add, or do you kind of have similar stuff? Yeah, the only thing I'd add is, I would say this is sort of the, Top, top website builder when it comes to design. I, I think it just maybe looks a little nicer, um, which is probably why it lends itself well to kind of the photography, the wedding planners, the portfolio style people. Um, if that's like your top priority, yeah, I, I don't think it is quite as good in terms of business functionality as some of the other website builders, especially Shopify and Wix. Um, but uh, if, if design sort of your 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 big thing, then this is probably a really good, uh, this is probably the go-to platform for yep. those kind of people. I would say also, I mentioned the pr- private market valuation. That was 2021. So R- right before they went public. Yeah. They raised at that round or that valuation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And that also makes sense that they're investing. If it's kind of the design stuff, they're investing in the social media tools as well, which I think is quite smart. Um, all right, let's move to future growth opportunities. Ryan, you have the talk acquisition. Yeah, and I, I'm not even sure this would be like where I think they'll generate some of uh, some of their growth moving forward. But they spent a lot of money on it, so it almost makes me feel like I have to have this here because four hundred million dollars in a mix of cash and stock. They they made this sort of right at the heart of maybe a little delayed post COVID, but it was at a time when restaurants really needed this solution. And so, um, basically, talk competes sort of with open table. So um, restaurants pay $199 a month and they use talk as their reservation system. They can also process online orders. They got really popular when they launched talk to go, um, which was their 
uh, online ordering the pickup, uh, what do they call it? Um, curbside pickup kind of offering for restaurants. That's really when they saw a lot of growth. And then obviously COVID was a big tailwind for them because restaurants needed this kind of solution. Um, but to me, it, it feels like they kind of just bought this at like just the peak of in uh, online restaurant orders. And maybe that's a trend that will continue over time. And it's like yeah. a slowdown now, but could they have acquired it for a hundred million dollars right now? Yeah. That, that to me, uh, it's both a concern. And then also, a, I mean, I know restaurants is kind of a big market or customer market for them. So it's, it's good that they have a little bit of a better service offering for them, but uh, it's concerning that maybe they do this again at, at a time when at an inopportune time, I should say. Yeah. And it, I think it'll work out if customers and ARPU continue to climb because this should be something for the restaurant tier that can really, really help ARPU. But we will see. Um, all right. Mine is going to be the classic one that everyone is focused on, um, and that is growth in commerce. Uh, so as with Wix and GoDaddy, I think Squarespace likely saw how much Shopify had grown with its, you know, Arm of the Rebels, um, uh, you know, the software behind the e-commerce to compete with the Amazon approach uh, with e-commerce and payments for online businesses. I think Squarespace is definitely trying to replicate that. Uh, I don't think uh, we don't need to think about that. They, they say that. Um, and they now, they now offer a ton of e-commerce tools for its website builders. Last quarter, they did $1.4 billion in GMV through the platform of 3% year over year. Again, though, like Ryan mentioned, some of that was inorganic because of talk, right? Is that what you were saying earlier? Uh, so yeah. The track not a lot out, of it, but yeah, is some of it, yeah, could be. Um, you're gonna really, it's really important what that number looks like, I think, a year from now. Um, but for reference, so Squarespace did 1.4 billion dollars in GMB, Shopify did 46 billion over that same time period. So I think you can either read that as bullish or bearish. One, there's a giant opportunity. Right, within these arm the rebels stuff, it's not. It, there's not just going to be Amazon that rules everything. But two, Shopify is such a lead in this space that I wonder if they're just going to become a winner takes all. So it's tough. It's tough. I kind of feel like they're different. The GMV mix is very different. Would be uh, that, that's gut. true. Yep. 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 Like a little more reservations, like different types of business than people that are shipping merchandise. Yeah, or like an online a trainer, uh, so an exercise trainer of any sort of type that uses Squarespace for their website. They can take payments for a class if, say, they travel around or their personal trainer or whatever it is, and that's entirely different than Shopify. You don't do that on Shopify. Shopify, by definition of the name, is for shopping online. So yeah, but. Here's the thing, though. Why why is the commerce so valuable? Is because if you get a subscriber that not only pays for the website but uses Squarespace to facilitate transactions, and again, they aren't going to be as valuable because they don't have Squarespace payments like Shopify payments or Wix payments or GoDaddy payments. But they're going to have much much higher lifetime values if someone is using them for their commerce, and Squarespace becomes much more valuable to that customer. And you're likely not going to churn uh, because it's, it, it can be easy to switch over, say, your website uh, from a Squarespace to somewhere else if it only is the design part. 
and you're like a blog or um, you have nothing else except for people, some things to read and then contact for whatever type of business you are. But if you're doing your actual business through Squarespace or a good percentage of it, it is a giant risk to leave them because you don't know what's going to go wrong. So I think that's very bullish for them and the website builders in general. But let's move to highlights and lowlights. I think um, we're going to have similar ones here, Ryan. So why don't you go and then I'll hit any that you don't have. Yeah, highlights for me. Uh, Squarespace has always kind of had a focus on profitable growth. I, I, we've seen some companies in the CMS space that are less fixated on that, but that's really been their focus even since the early days. Um, so, and management has made it clear that the, that's going to continue. Um, that's that's sort of a they they explicitly state that in their conference calls. Second one for me. And I already kind of mentioned this. I do think they've carved out a pretty strong niche among end markets that are focused on design first, um, especially the non non merchant types. So you know the, the photographers, wedding planners, those kind of those kind of uh, customers. And then the last one is just the industry tailwinds. Uh, we've talked about this time and time again, but more and more people, especially the non technical people, are building websites themselves and. Squarespace has a well-known brand within the do-it-yourself space. So I think there is going to be plenty of top of the funnel uh, customers coming to them over time. Low lights for me though. I think the talk acquisition kind of scares me. Um, It's, it bolsters their offering I'm sure for restaurants, but it seems poorly timed and it worries me that maybe they're going to, I'm all for them building out solutions to help their customers and maybe even buying small solutions and then upselling it to their big customer base. But $400 million is a big deal. I mean, that's four years worth of cash flow um, at the current rate, roughly three years, whatever. Uh, I don't know. That's that's kind of concerning. I don't think talk was worth that, um, at least not from what we've seen so far in terms of how they've improved the financials. Uh, other lowlights for me, floating rate debt, big chunk of that's due most, mostly in 2025. So if, if they see a uh, rise in rates, it, it's going to inhibit their ability to invest in other things. So it's just, you know, I wish they would have raised on fixed rate debt. I, I honestly don't see why they didn't try to do that. I know that's hindsight, but you're not you're not taking advantage of low rate environments by buying variable rate de- debt. So that and it seems like they were taking on debt to because it was sort of an opportunistic time. Maybe it was to finance that talk acquisition. Maybe that's why they upsized it. But um, I don't know. It just it feels like it was a poor decision. Obviously, I have the benefit of, of seeing that rates have risen. So uh, maybe not fair for me to say. Last one, I'm not 100% sold on Castellana. Um, he, he does control the ship. I just in kind of, it, it's hard to describe why, but I just kind of got that gut feel um, listening to that interview where it felt... Uh, I, it's like it's impossible feeling to describe. I didn't feel like he was necessarily the perfect capital allocation partner, which is what you're looking for with management. Yeah, it's hard to kind of got to judge management. It's hard to it's hard to do that. You just kind of listen and say, "Do I trust them?" <laughs> if you don't meet them, or, or they're not haven't been in the public markets that long. On the flip side, I do like that he has has tried to 
go at it with a lean approach like that the those first couple of years where he's like we can do this without having to hire it it's nice in terms of it it, it shows that there's a focus on profitability but at the same time they gave up there are companies that started much later than them shopify and wix that have eaten their lunch maybe because they didn't invest enough yeah yeah the market they've stalled out a bit on the market share uh if you look at those over the last couple of years wix has done a little bit better it's interesting yeah I don't know what to think about that. I think it's something investors need to consider a lot, though. All right, my highlights uh, have the same as you, like you know, the profitable growth, um, CMS stuff. There should be that tailwind, but just generally, the business model I think is attractive to me. Where you have a combination of one fantastic unit of economics, two recurring revenue, and three pricing power due to the high switching costs and the fact that the the value the website builders are providing versus the cost of a website builder each year is low. Uh, ours, uh, right now, versus you know that the difference is huge. Um, I think generally they're about two hundred bucks a year uh, across the industry. So I think that could raise to four hundred dollars over the next decade, and no one would bat an eye. So that combination of one fantastic unit economics, recurring revenue, and then the pricing power make website builders like Squarespace just extremely attractive to me. I'm not sure why there's this narrative that content management systems are bad businesses. Hey, that's fine. You should be happy. That means there's I know. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's competitive, but I feel like the lifetime value is really high when you, you attract a user. The downside is the commodity-ish stuff, but again, there is a little bit of scale if you can offer so many more features to someone, which there are a ton that a small business needs uh, when building an online business, um, and they can't do any of it in-house. My lowlights, though, uh, besides the ones you had, yeah, I had talk and I had the Castle Castellana, um, basically dictatorship here as a bit of a low light. Uh, the other one I had though, is that they relate to the game at e-commerce and online payments, and they don't even have their internal payment solution, which as it's expensive to build out and the margins are going to be low at the start. So I don't know if they're ever going to do that. Um, but I worry that similar to Wix and GoDaddy, Squarespace will lose a lot of customers to Shopify that are e-commerce focused. And a lot of them are e-commerce focused. I don't think it's a failure like we discussed before, given the size of the market opportunity. There can be winners in either space. Shopify will be a winner, and then you know, Squarespace can also be a winner. But annual GMV might be lower than investors expected uh, a few years from now. Maybe that lower than investors expected back when they raised at a $10 billion valuation. Um, maybe not now at a $3 billion valuation, but we'll see. All right, bull case. Let's wrap things up, Ryan. What do you see here, valuation versus kind of what you need to go right if you're thinking of in buying this thing? Yeah, I think uh, the good thing about these businesses is it's pretty easy to understand the drivers. Commerce complicates things a little bit, but it, it, ultimately it's pretty easy to understand the drivers. So um, I think they have to grow unique subscriptions at 10% plus over the next several years. Um it, it's come down a little bit post COVID, but their three year CAGR has been 16%. So I do think they can do that. Um, I also think that they need to increase their average revenue per subscription. That's going to come through a combination of both price increases. And they've been a little more reluctant to do price increases compared to some of the other companies. But um, so price increases and then 
probably more commerce revenue per subscriber as well. Um, and then they're able to maintain 20% free cash flow margins. I, I know that's kind of a big one. It'll be, I, th- if, I think it's with, doable. Oh, easy. And with their uh, SBC levels, it should be able to go higher. Yeah. And they're, they're basically at that right now. Uh, sometimes it floats under, but generally around that level. And then if those things, if those three things happen, um, they'd be generating, if we assume, so 5% growth in average revenue per sub, 10% plus at a minimum, you've got 15% revenue growth, then 20% free cash flow margins. You're looking at more than $250 million in free cash flow within three years at 15 times free cash flow, which I think. So haircut from air. Yeah. It's it, reasonable, certainly reasonable in a bull case. Uh, you've got just under a $4 billion market cap, which is uh, within three years, that's that's upside from here. That's that's more than a 10% return Yep. A- annually. Yeah. Unless they get that, unless that SBC comes in so aggressively, although I don't think it would, it would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't all be SBC uh, for that market cap expansion. My, mine's similar. I think it's very simple. They continue to gain market share versus WordPress, driving a steady growth of new customers to their business, which has continued over the last, which is a continuation of what they've done over the last decade. And then ARPU steadily grows uh, through the adoption of commerce tools and price increases. It's very, very simple. Revenue grows at 10% plus a year, and then you have consistent operating leverage due to the strong gross margins. Again, you need the capital discipline, though, because we're going to talk about Wix. The big downside with Wix is they haven't had the capital discipline um, over the last couple of years. While we looked at someone like GoDaddy with the capital discipline, or excuse, not even the capital, just the spending discipline uh, as they've grown, you've seen they've been able to grow like that. If Squarespace can put up something similar, they can probably have even better margins. Uh, and yeah, at the current EV to gross profit multiple of 4.4, if they end up converting a lot of that to cash, eventually, I think the stock would be very, very cheap. Um, so yeah, uh, bear case though, Ryan, what do you think? So, well, for one, I think the debts put them in a, in a precarious spot. So, um, short term, well, not a bankruptcy one, but just more of a flexibility, right? Yeah, and so uh, I guess here's the problem. So short term, I could see some elevated churn. You know, you look at the GMV numbers. That means, unless it's more just everything moving to in-person transactions, there could be there. There was an unreal amount of small business uh, starts and website making going on during COVID, which you, you can if you look at the charts, it, it accelerated during COVID and has since tapered off. If you start to see some lagging churn. So companies that are like, they subscribed during COVID, but they haven't had the chance to renew and now they're not going to renew or whatever the businesses have failed, that kind of thing. Maybe net subscription ads slows or even even declines for a little bit. Um, I mean, we're seeing sequentially flat. So if you see that, there's a chance that they're going to see some compression on like the, the top line. Um, on top of that, if rates rise at the same time, you've got increased interest expenses with kind of compressing top line, and then you're going to have to roll that debt. Double whammy, um, double whammy too on how rising the economy would be hurt, and that could impact their net ads. Yeah, yeah, and the and the, uh, I mean, if you're rolling that debt, they're probably going to have to do it at more expensive rates too. So, um, I don't know. It's just. Uh, 
I think there's the possibility that free cash, and then you've got then SBCs more diluted when they're not using that excess cash to buy back. So maybe free cash flow per share grows at a pretty slow rate in that scenario. Yep. All right. My bear case is just inverting the big thesis around non-WordPress build, website builders gaining share in WordPress. I said die last episode, but again, it's going to take many, many years for that to happen given their dominance in the marketplace. But that's the big thesis is that they continue to take customers from them um, as the and as the website builder industry just grows in general. Um, if that doesn't happen, because of that, you know, there's still some growth reflected in the stock price, right? There are ex- expectations for growth. If that doesn't happen, and for some reason that trend stops, and Squarespace only grows customers by, say, low single digits each year, along with the overall website builder market, I don't think the stock would do well. And the floor seems fairly high, unless they make some terrible missteps as an executive team. But if I just worry that the stock could be stuck at these levels if they don't grow enough and there is some competition out there. So you, I think, have to be pretty darn confident that the Word, WordPress is going to lose market share um, over the next decade if Squarespace is going to do well. All right. More or less interested, Ryan, let's close things up. More interested. It would, I, I do think they'll gain market share. I worry a little bit about the valuation here and just some of the decisions they've made. Um, and I, I was kind of bummed out to see the balance sheet, but uh, I, I am more interested if there's some sort of steep sell-off, this is something that'll be on my, it is on my watch list already. So it, it'll it'll kind of move up, I guess. Yep. I'm interested as well. The business model seems sound to me. Uh, I don't think management is bad. I didn't see any big red flags or anything like that. They're not too tested in the public markets. It's only been about a year or so. So I think that's something that I will want to see. Uh, But yeah, the business model is very sound. I think there's a long-term tailwind. So what what more could you ask for? All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Next week, we're doing big commerce, which is a Shopify competitor, I believe, although we'll have to figure it out ourselves. And then after that, we'll be covering Wix to close out the year. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital, and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.